the great needs for us, and that this is for every age. Now, most of the folks in here are, are uh, we wouldn't call you senior citizens, but we wouldn't call you spring chickens either, amen? amen. And uh, some of you are, how many of you are grandparents? Okay, yes. And how many have children in the home? Okay, so we, 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 do, we do have some folks that are still raising kids, amen? And uh, what, a, what an honor that is. God gives us those children to mold and to make according to God's will, and we certainly want to do that. There's a couple books I want to mention to you. Uh, this book here is a book that I put out for my uh, memory of my mother. That's a picture of her there and us boys on the back. And uh, this is a message I preached on Friday night on 10 Ways to Raise a Godly Family. That's a, that's, that book will encourage. If you know a family that has children, uh, that would be a good one for them. This one here, I think the pastor gave out to all the men. Uh, this is a book uh, that I did in honor of my dad. And uh, it talks about which generation do you represent, the generation that fights the good fight? That's usually a first-generation Christian. The second generation, they enjoyed the spoil of what the first generation gave them. They didn't have to pay for it. It was a gift. And uh, that's wonderful. Uh, that's the generation I grew up in. But then the third generation often sells out to the enemy. You say, how could that be? Well, it's, a lot of it has to do with peer pressure. A lot of it has to do with um, uh, maybe some hypocrisy in the home or inconsistencies in the home and that type of thing. But uh, we, we must bathe our, our kids in prayer. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere nagging them. You're going, to, you're going to get somewhere by going to God on their behalf. It's kind of like a satellite, right? Uh, my phone is on, uh, goes to a satellite. If I called the pastor, and we're both sitting right here, and I called him, this would go up to a satellite, and then it would come down back into the church building, and he'd pick up, see? So here we are. We go to God on behalf of those we love. And, you know, many Christians get discouraged because their family's not doing everything that they think they ought to be. Uh, just go to God with, with it and trust the Lord. Let Him work it out. And I believe me, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or even think. So a lot of times we don't even think about what God could do, and He's waiting there, standing there going, boy, I wish you'd let me help you, but you seem to never call on me unless you're in a crunch, you know. May God help us. This book here is a book that my, my brother Tom wrote about my parents. It's a biography of their life and how they raised five boys. It's called The Great Experiment. So you, you, you would understand that. But if you want the dirt on me, here it is, right here. Okay. <laughs> Take your Bibles and go to the book of Lamentations. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. I want to speak this morning on the subject of discovering self, discovering yourself. Uh, we live in a day when everybody's uh, all about uh, self-esteem, right? Uh, they, they, think they, they think it's important for them to build up their self-esteem so that they you know, they, they can be better, 
It's, it's all about self. Well, self's a problem. I'm my worst enemy. How many of you think you're your worst enemy? You know, a lot of times we try to blame everybody else for our faults, but really the, the fault lies with us. Uh, it, you know, nobody can make me do anything that I don't want to do. True? Isn't that the way we are? Uh, we've used that phrase, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And add on to that, not even God. And I emphasize that again in this meeting because I think that, that we are our worst enemy. Uh, a lot of the problems that we have in our life are self-inflicted problems. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a series of CD messages out there on the table one of them is The World and the Church by, by Bob Jones Sr. The World and the Church. Boy, that's a powerful message. This one here is a documentary of a man on George Street in Sydney, Australia. That's about soul winning. This man uh, gave out the gospel every day at noon and never saw any results. Well, uh, an evangelist was preaching in different areas and, and um, the, the subject came up about this man and he started telling the story and other people started saying, hey, I got a track from him and come to find out he'd led many people to Christ, didn't even know it uh, because he was faithful to the Lord even though he didn't see results. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times Christians aren't faithful to the Lord and yet they want results. Right. And may we be faithful to the Lord. Here's a good one uh, for you your, your, yourself. Staying Inside God's Hedges by Don Green out of Michigan. Powerful message, let me tell you. Here's a message I preached on the sin of neglect, one of the wicked sins of a Christian. Also, another one I preached on the danger of spiritual bankruptcy. You'd be shocked how many Christians are bankrupt. <laughs> Maybe not only physically, but spiritually they're bankrupt. Vance Havner preaches a message on the Lordship of Christ. Is, is Jesus Christ really Lord of your life? Is he just your Savior or is he also your Lord? And then Oswald J. Smith preaches a great message on, on message to young Christians. Those are all messages. Eight, eight messages for $20 if you're interested, okay? And that's, that's just good preaching. And there's a bunch of it back there, and I sure would like you to take advantage of it. All right, Lamentations chapter 4. We're going to go to verse 22. Verse 22. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, O daughter of Edom. Notice this little phrase. I'd like you to underline it. He will discover thy what? Sins. He will discover thy sins. God discovers our sins. A lot of times we can hide our sin. Sometimes a husband or a wife will they'll hide their sin. Children hide their sin. There's a story I could tell you about that too. When God revealed to my father that I had done something wrong. I got to tell you now that I got you thinking about it. I went, up to, I went up to Nate Morehouse's store and I stole some ice cream sandwiches and stuck them in my coat, ate them, and 
Man, 30 days went by and nobody, nobody knew. I thought, man, that was an easy crime. I, I could probably do that again. You know what happens when you're not right with God? You do things you wouldn't think you'd do. And the more you get into it and the more you think you can get away with it, the worse you become. That's why there are jails. I'm just a young kid. And um, we're sitting at the supper table one night, and Dad looks down at me, and he was at the other end of the table. And he looked at me, and he said, Hey, Dan, have you been stealing from Nate Morehouse's store? Well, I was so shocked that he told me, said that to me. And I went, and then I just said, how did you find out? He goes, oh, I, I didn't know whether you had stolen anything from Nate Morehouse's store. I just was wondering. He blew my cover. Boy, did we go on a whaling expedition. Woodshed experience. Man, he, he spanked me till the smoke alarm went off. Amen. He let me have it good. Then he marched me up to see Mrs. Morehouse. I had to tell her I just got a serious spanking. And how much do I owe? And she added up how many ice cream sandwiches I took, and she said, this is what you owe. And I had to pay for them. After I recovered, I said, Dad, how in the world did you find out? He said a little birdie told me. You know who that is? The dove. The spirit. The spirit said to my dad, ask him this question. He asked the question, blew my cover, judged me for it, and you know, I quit stealing. That, that cured me amen. of stealing stuff. I ask before I take stuff now, amen? Good idea? We need to discover ourselves and find out where we really are. And sometimes we're worse than we think we are. Just because I don't meet my parents, you know, requirements doesn't mean I'm bad. Well, let me ask you a question. How bad is bad? Bad is only as bad as you think it is. And if you don't think it's that bad, you're going to do it and not care what anybody thinks. And that's a problem that many people have. Now, let's get into it. Number one, I want you to write down this word. They're all going to begin with the word self, okay? If you need a piece of paper and a pencil, just give us a holler. We'll get you one. But I want you to write these down, if you would. Number one, self-willed. Self-willed. The word self-willed has the meaning of seeking to get your own way. I've got to have it my way. Self-will. You've heard about a, a strong-willed child. I know some strong-willed dads and some strong-willed moms. And often, have you ever seen yourself in your kids? That's kind of a scary thought right there. Uh, I look at my son, Joshua, and I see myself in my son. And um, sometimes I'm disappointed 
that he is like me. I'd rather he be like Christ. Amen. So what is the purpose? The purpose is to bring people out of self-will that they might live for his will. And I, wanna, I want to show you, some, show you who the father of self-will is. Go to Isaiah 14, verse 13. I'll read it in verse 14 as well. This is, the, this is Satan speaking. He says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Notice all the eyes in there, those personal pronouns. Uh, we have a problem with, with three different people, me, myself, and I. <laughs> we have, I have my three worst enemies. And then I have three that help me, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who are you going to turn your will over to? Are you going to keep it yourself or turn it over to the devil? The devil is the father of lies. The devil is a deceiver. And the devil will try to keep your will alive. Now remember something. Paul said, I what? Die what? Daily. Did you know your will is not to be alive? It's to be his will. And um, I saw this road rage thing where this uh, guy... Uh, they got into an argument, and uh, so this, this guy, uh, they got into a tussle. They both got out of their cars and started hitting on each other, and the one guy knocked the one guy down, and then he got back up, and then he came over, and he knocked the other guy down, and then it was over. But I thought, why, why could a person get that out of control? How's that an example to anybody? What happens is when your will is not under God's will, you'll do things you thought you would never do. And you lose your presence of mind sometimes and you do things that you should never do and you say, wow, what came over me? It was your self-will. You began to control your actions. You began to take charge of your actions and look, look at the mess that it can produce. Judas was greedy, wasn't he? Yeah. Judas wanted... The, uh, he wanted to betray the Lord Jesus and did betray the Lord Jesus. And uh, the Bible uh, very clearly reveals that in Matthew 26, verse 15, it says, And said unto them, What will ye give me? This is Judas speaking to the religious leaders. What wilt thou give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. So he did what was wrong, didn't he? He wanted, what's 30 pieces of silver for the Lord Jesus? Are you kidding? Can you imagine spending three and a half years with the Lord in public ministry and then betray him? Hey, Christians do that. Yeah. Yeah. They go to church their whole life and end up getting away from God, not at church, and living like the devil. What causes a person to do that? It's all about self-will. 
Notice what it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw he had, uh, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So he brings in the 30 pieces of silver, he throws it down, knowing that he did what was wrong, and then what does he do? He commits suicide. That's a life that is consumed with self. I was at the, at the uh, county fair yesterday, and I was sitting there on a, on a picnic table, at a picnic table, and there was a, ma a young boy sitting there. He's probably 16, 17 years old. And I gave him a gospel track on an inmate that hit the bottom, and God saved him, and now he's a preacher. And, man, he sat right there and read the whole thing. I said, what would you think? He said, very good. And I, I said, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? He said, yes, I am. I am saved. And uh, we were talking for a few minutes, and we, we got in talking about uh, suicides among young people. It's a huge problem today. In the town where I pastored for 23 years, there's a Bear Mountain Bridge, and in 2018, I think it was five or six people jumped off that bridge to kill themselves. I'd never heard of that when I pastored there. And, of course, that was back, you know, 20 years ago. But the point that I want to make is that this young man said to me, yeah, he said, it's a real problem. He said, we had one of, one of the boys, I think it was up in near Salina, I'm not sure where it was, 16-year-old boy, uh, just was, he's a senior in high school, committed suicide right here, right here in the area. And um, I had another young man that's here this morning tell me of someone that he knew, a young girl, about 16, that committed suicide. What's wrong? People are consumed with themselves. Everything's about themselves. I don't know whether you saw that, that video of a, a father on a zero-turn mower, and his, he took all of his son's uh, video games and, and the Xbox and everything, put them all out there on the lawn, and then he just drove over them. And man, that, that kid had a serious meltdown. Yeah. He goes, you won't, you won't work. You won't do what you're told around the house. So you don't need to have these things. And he's like, don't do it, Dad. And he went over that stuff. And that guy goes, he, he lost it. He lost it. That's self-will. That's self-will. I have no problem taking away things from children that are consumed with them and don't do what they're told. Amen. Yes. Very important. Yes. Very important. It's important that we, we crucify self-will. Self-will. Demas, the Bible says, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He had such an affection and an affinity for the world that he thought, I'd rather have the world than have Jesus. Could a Christian... Could a person that knows who Jesus Christ is and may even be saved uh, go out and just say, well, I want to live for myself and the pleasures of my own life. My own brother's wife said after 25 years of marriage, I did what you wanted to do for 25 years, now I'm going to go and do what I want to do. She was a missionary. They raised four boys that are all serving the Lord, and she took off, and that's it. She's gone. She doesn't want anything to do with spiritual things. How could that be? Self-will. Self-will. It happens. And we, uh, we must hate our own self-will 
and we must crucify it. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse us from all sin. Don't be selfish. Don't say, I've got to have it my way or the highway. No, no, no. No, I want it God's way, and that's the way it's going to be. Number two, self-pity. God discovers our sin, doesn't he? The sin of self-will. Then the sin of self-pity. Now, I want to ask a very personal question to you. How many of you have ever had a set up a pity party tent and invited folks? Oh, yes, I, I, I know that you're, you're, you're lying to me right now by not raising your hands because uh, everybody has pity parties. A pity party is when you get upset about something and you, and you just can't quit talking about it and you want, every, you want to infect everybody else so that everybody's as miserable as you are. Doesn't that sound like fun? I'm mad, so I'm going to make, uh, I want everybody to feel sorry for me. Self-pity is feeling sorry for yourself. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. We're talking about Elijah. Many of you know Elijah. Uh, he, uh, he was a really a great man of God in so many ways, but he, he got to the place where he became scared to death of, of uh, Jezebel, and um, he said in verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, and they've thrown down thine altars, and they've slain thy prophets with the sword. This is right after she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you for killing those 450 prophets of Baal. Remember that story? And uh, you've slain, I've, and slain, I've slain the prophets with the sword. And notice what he says here. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's in the middle of a pity party, Elijah. He's gotten discouraged. He's, he's, he's tried to do what God wanted him to do, and then, uh, then uh, they wanted, Jezebel wants to destroy him, wants to get rid of him. Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked, wicked people, and uh, they were going to get Elijah back, and they were going to kill him. And so he took off like a scared, you know, a scaredy cat, and uh, he's off in the desert somewhere, and he's, he's pouting. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of powders in the Bible. Jonah was one. He was told to go to Nineveh and cry out against their sin, and he, he uh, went the opposite way. But God got a hold of him, amen? Even after there was a great revival in, in uh, Nineveh, what happens to Jonah? He's pouting. He's pouting and uh, complaining. And uh, you know, it's interesting that, that, that we are just one thought away from doing the wrong thing. Uh, somebody may not treat you right, and so uh, you, you get upset with them, and then you start talking to others, and you're, you're trying to rally people around you to, you know, to pout about what you're having to go through. I want you to notice also, here's what the Lord said to, to Elijah when he said, I even I only am left, and and they seek my life to take it away. Listen to what the Lord says to Elijah. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He said, here you are pouting, thinking you're the only one, that only one left. And I've got 7,000 out there that are following, following me and have not bowed their knee to Baal, nor kissed Baal. Quit your pouting. 
You know, many homes are hurt because of pity parties. Many families are divided over circumstances that did not go the way they wanted them to go. And it's sad. It's sad to see that happen. In fact, Jonah in chapter 3, it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil which he had said that he would do unto them, that is, at Nineveh, and did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Self-pity is when your anger comes out. See, sin must be confessed and forsaken. If it's not confessed and forsaken, you ought to write this down, it's not forgiven. Did you hear me? If it's not confessed and forsaken, it's not forgiven. Why do we hold grudges against people? Why, uh, why, do you, why, do, why do some couples use the silent treatment? It's like the two fellows got together and the man said, I think I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm sick and tired. She hasn't talked to me for a month. The guy says, you're kidding. Oh, I wish my wife wouldn't talk to me for a month. <laughs> you get that? The silent treatment is, is, is one of the things that destroys marriages. Yeah. Man, I'm mad at her and I'm mad at him and we're not talking. How do you get a hold of God then? If you have ought against somebody, did you know that God shuts off heaven? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You wonder why some people, why God doesn't use them. It's because they've got something in their crawl they can't get rid of because they don't want to get rid of it. You know, there are some people that have a cloud over their head. How many ever met somebody like that? When they walk in, you go, oh no, here they come. Because they're going to tell you the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again. And I think they like their sicknesses and stuff because that's all they talk about. They're consumed with it. And they're in a cloud. And it's almost like they're dependent upon their problem instead of being dependent upon God. And they're living, they're living in a vacuum. God can't get to them because they've allowed something that makes them feel good even though it's not good. You know, our sinful nature likes wrong things. But our spirit loathes them. So that tells you a lot where a person's living. You're either living for God or you're living for yourself. And that's a sad life, I think, when you're living in self-pity. Number three, self-praise. Self-praise. This is when you try to draw attention to yourself. It's interesting when a person is only interested in themselves and being praised. Um, I, I, I've known people that over the many years of ministry that, that they, they, only, they only talked about themselves. They never really talked about anybody else. And um, 
they never asked you, how, how are you doing? They never did that. That was not their makeup because they were, they were looking to be praised or they were, they were looking to, to get attention. They wanted people to notice them. You know, some people commit sin just to be noticed. Um, and uh, why, why do you think these, these, uh, these shootings have taken place over here in Dayton? Was that this morning? Or, and then the one over in El Paso, Texas, uh, they're at Walmart. Why, why do you think these things are happening? It's because a person is seeking attention. Oh, they get attention, all right. The guy over here in Dayton's dead. I don't know what, whether that happened with the one in El Paso or not. But they want to make a name for themselves. They, 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 they want to be praised. You know, Facebook, uh, the Internet, is a, is a real problem uh, for some people because uh, bullying goes on. And somebody puts a person down, puts them down, and they finally say, nobody cares about me, and then they, t they take their life. Um, there's all kinds of ways that, that, that people are seeking attention, uh, so they do bad things for attention, they, they, they hurt people uh, because they, th they think somebody else will like me because they don't like him either, and so there be, there, there's, there's kind of a, a weird sense of um, craziness that goes on in the minds of people to the point where they will do things that hurt to get praise. Isn't that nuts? The mind of man can be so skewed and twisted, and it's twisted by our own sinfulness. Um, I wouldn't put past any sin against anybody. I wouldn't. But by the grace of God, there go I. We must realize that, that what we do has consequences. And we should not do anything that would bring reproach upon the name of the Lord. So we, if you're praising yourself, God's not getting any glory, is he? The Bible says they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John chapter 12, verse 43. Can you imagine that? Rather be praised by men than be praised by God. We want attention. We want people to like us. We want affection. And a lot of times that leads us into things that we ought not to be involved in. So if we are not looking, if, if we are content in Christ, we don't need somebody else to stroke us and make us feel good about ourselves. I already feel good about myself. <laughs> The Lord loves me. The Lord's forgiven me. The Lord's given me uh, salvation and has, has called me to serve Him. I am so blessed. As long as I praise God, everything's taken care of. It's when I start wanting praise to myself. Why didn't I get that, that, uh, that, that raise? How come so-and-so got the raise? Oh, man, and, and we, start, we start looking at circumstances and all of a sudden we, we realize, oh, I've been neglected and nobody loves me and everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. I won't say the rest of it. Huh? And we go from self-praise right into a pity party. And it's, it's, it's just self-will in action. That's all it is. Ananias and Sapphira, remember them? These are church people now. Now I'm getting into church people. 
Ananias and Sapphira. I believe what happened according to the scriptures there, you know, Barnabas came and gave some, some land for the work of the Lord and, and uh, you know, and uh, no doubt he was praised. Thank you, Lord, for the tremendous gift and look how it's helping people. Ananias and Sapphira thought, man, you know, what we could do is we could sell a piece of property or whatever they had to, that they were going to sell and, and we'll say we're giving it all, but we'll just give some of it. And they may have gone out and bought a new suit and a new hat. And they're all excited. And she didn't go to Sunday school. He only came to Sunday school because she came in late. Remember that now. Don't forget that. That's a little, little tidbit right there. So he comes in and, he says, and uh, Peter said, Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And he was killed dead right there in the church. Whew. Then she comes in later. And, you know, Peter gave her an opportunity to straighten it out. He said, did you give so much money or, you know, did you give all of it or whatever? And, and she, oh, yeah. Said, well, the men that hauled, took, took your husband out of here, they're going to take you out. God struck her dead. I want to tell you something. You don't mess around with God. Now, he's long-suffering. He's gracious. He's patient. But there comes a time where God says, that's it. And you don't want to get in his way when he comes to the end of himself and says, that's it. And so we see, we see here in the scriptures that self-praise could be a real problem, couldn't it? The rich man in Luke chapter 18, remember, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you know, you, you, you went through the, he, he went through the different commandments. He said, oh, I kept all of them from my youth. Sounded good, didn't he? He sounded like he was praising himself. And then he said, well, just sell all your, all, your, all your wealth and give it to the Lord and follow me. And he went away sad because he had many riches. You see what I'm saying? He, he was all about himself. He wanted to do what Christ wanted him to do, but not at any cost. Are you willing to serve the Lord at any cost? Are you willing to say, Lord, I lose my life into your life. Whatever you desire of me, I will do it, and I will give you glory as I do it. Whatsoever you do in word or deed. Many of you come from different walks. Many of you come from different jobs. You're all making a living. You're seeking to do what you feel is right. Are you doing it for the glory of God? A Christian does not live for self-praise. They live for God's glory. Number four, self-love. Self-love is a little different than self-praise. Praise is wanting someone to praise you, but self-love is when you are absolutely in love with yourself. I will not be put out. I will not be taken advantage of. In Romans 15, 3, the Bible says, even Christ pleased not himself. Think about that. Jesus did not even please himself. God said of Jesus in Matthew 3, 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. See, Jesus came to this earth. 
suffered and bled and died, was crucified, buried, rose again. He did all of that for you. For you. He did not please himself. I don't think it'd be very pleasing to have to be crucified on a cross. He even said in the garden, nevertheless, not as I, what? Will, but as thou wilt. So he gave up his will to go to the cross. So he did not please himself. But what did God say of him? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know what? I don't need self-love. I need God's pleasure. I need God to get pleasure from my life. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. We should not do anything for self-grandizing. We should do everything that we do for His glory and for His honor. That's what makes a happy Christian. What, what, what makes you happy? Things? Toys? What makes you happy? Acceptance by others? Peer pressure? Acceptance? If you're living for that, for that goal, guess what? You are going to be constantly disappointed. How many, how many young ladies came along and met a guy? Oh, he is, oh, he, what a hunk. Oh, this guy is like, oh, I just love just looking at him. And then you get married. Before you got married, you could spend hours with him and it felt like minutes. Then after you get married, those minutes seem like hours. What happened? Well, you thought, you thought, that this is the best thing I could do. But you never checked with God on it because he just said, forget the dude. He's a dipstick. He ain't going to make it. He's a a dead-end street. Hello? Hey, you would not believe how many Christians have married the wrong person for the wrong reason. Some get married to get out of a bad home situation. Some get married because... They want affection because they've never had proper affection. I, I thought Jesus makes us, gives us pleasure and gives us comfort and, and guides us and helps us through our life. He's not just a fire escape from hell. Jesus is our dearest friend. And he doesn't, he doesn't love us conditionally. Some people love each other conditionally. Well, if you do everything I say, then I'll love you. But if not, I'm going to give you the cold shoulder and make your life miserable until you do what I say. God, God, God's not a sadist. God is not a sadist. He takes no pleasure in our hurt. He wants to deliver us from hurt. He wants to protect us. Amen. Oh, God's protection is amazing. What time do I need to be done? In about two minutes? Oh, good. I'm, I'm right on schedule almost. Okay. Self-love. Okay, let's go on now. Number five, self-consciousness. Write this down, self-consciousness. Many people don't serve the Lord. Oh, I could never do that. With God, you can do anything. With God, all things are possible, right? Amen. Gideon said, oh, you know, Gideon's hiding between the oak tree and the, 
and the, and the wine press. The oak tree speaks of strength. The wine press speaks of joy. He didn't have strength or joy. He's sitting there hiding from the Midianites, grinding some grain. And the angel shows up and says, hello there, uh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Huh? Mighty man of valor? I'm scared to death of these Midianites. But what did God do with Gideon? He took 300 men and defeated multitudes of people. Why? Because our great God wants us to be conscious of Him and His power, not our own. I can't do God's work effectively on my own. Uh, you know, some people have a personality, some people don't. Some people are gifted, some aren't. But God uses anybody. Whether they have education, whether they have abilities or not, He uses them when they say, Lord, I can't do this. You've got to do this through me. I'm not going to do anything without God's power. I can't do anything without God's power. Self-conscious, you know, Moses was a big one for that one. The Lord, the, the Lord uh, told him, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to deliver my people. And so his first argument was, well, who am I? The second argument was, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And then his next argument was, but behold, they will not believe me. Then he got desperate and he says, you know, I'm not eloquent. I'm very slow of speech. And he probably started stuttering. Then he, in desperation, said, why don't you get someone else to do it? So five times Moses tries to get out of going back to Egypt. And so the Lord says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll Aaron can go with you and he can be your mouthpiece. Well, Aaron really wasn't his mouthpiece. He, when he got back there and got the power of God on him, uh, you know, Aaron was there and became a high priest and was used greatly of the Lord, whatever. But the point that I want to make here is that, that Moses was self-conscious and thought God couldn't use him. And God said, no, you are the one I'm going to use. And Moses' power was not of his own. It was of God. You know what I want people to do? I want people to see the power of God. Don't you? I'm nothing. He's everything. I must decrease. He must increase. Number six, self-defensiveness. Oh, this is a bad one. Seeking to protect yourself. Trying to defend yourself. You know, when I was a pastor, I would visit, call people up, try to get them to come. I would call up somebody and say, uh, hey, this Pastor Knickerbocker, we missed you Sunday. Well, you know, I, you can't expect us to be there all the time. <laughs> That's self-defensive right there. Some people, you can, you can lightly rebuke them, and they, they respond to it. And others go, Rah! you know, <laughs> they, they, they're very self-defensive. Uh, husbands are self-defensive. Yeah, husband comes home from work and the wife's self-defensive too. The husband comes home from work and he, and he walks in the house and he doesn't smell food. Now that's a dangerous thing. Honey, aren't you going to make a meal? We're, I don't smell any food. And here's the self-defensiveness. Well, what do you think I do? Just have to cater to all your needs all the time? And I've got these 14 kids I'm trying to take care of. And, and you, want, you want a meal right now? 
self-defensive. The wife goes, you know that sink is still dripping. Well, what do you think? I, I, all I can do is work on sinks, man. I got to go out of here and slave labor on this job over here, and then you expect me to come home and slave labor? Self-defensive. You ever been self-defensive? <laughs> That's a problem, isn't it? Wouldn't it be better if you just say, oh, yeah, that sink is dripping. I need to get that taken care of, and I'm going to work on that right now and get it done. And then she faints. The sink's not tripping anymore. I still believe in miracles. Wow. Now, there's so much that can be said about self-defensive, right? Remember, Peter, though all others should be offended thee, I'll never be offended. Then he's cussing and swearing, says he doesn't even know him. You talk about self-defensive. And then number seven, self-effort, relying on the energy of the flesh to do God's work. Forget about it. You cannot do God's work in the flesh. You cannot serve God effectively in the flesh. Rely heavily upon His power, not your own, not your own power. Oh, there's so many things that could be said there. Self-effort. There are some people that think they're God's gift to the service of the Lord, and the truth of the matter is they're a problem. We, we, we are our own worst enemies sometimes when it comes to self-effort. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. I'd like to see what God's done. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable, acceptable unto thee, O Lord. May everything I do, I do for the glory of God. I think when you start your day in the morning, you ought to say, Lord, help, help me to make all right decisions today. And then I can come to the end of that day and say, wow, I really had a great day because I let him make the choices for me. I didn't try to make them myself. Oh, God help us. Our Heavenly Father, oh, help us to be sick of ourselves, sick of our own abilities, sick of who we think we are and what we think should be done. And may we come to you, O God, with our hearts wide open.